1: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
2: This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture, with me, Neil Denny. This week, we're talking about the true story of Anna Delvey, the fake heiress of New York City, With Rachel Deloach-Williams and her new memoir, My Friend Anna. Rachel Deloach-Williams was born and raised in Knoxville, Tennessee and is a graduate of Kenyon College. In 2010 she moved to New York City and landed her dream job in the photo department of Vanity Fair where she helped produce photo shoots including those for the annual Hollywood and New Establishment Issues and work with the magazine's leading photographers and iconic subjects. And my friend Anna, the true story of Anna Delvey, the fake heiress of New York City, is Rachel's first book, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Rachel, welcome to Little Atoms.
0: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
2: So this is, on the whole, the story of the the con artist, Anna Delvey, which, as you state at the beginning of the book yourself, is, is obviously what people want to read about but it is also the story of of yourself your journey to new york and your life there before you meet anna and i've noticed in the coverage around the story of anna and her trial and the coverage afterwards that you know there's this idea that she was conning the super rich and there's in some respects a grudging admiration for what she Mm -hmm. did even though she obviously ended up on trial so I think it's important to begin with that we talk about yourself and and how you ended up in New York because that's obviously not your experience.
0: Thank you yes that's um part of why I, I included it in the book is I think to understand you know one if there's an ideal mark who is it short answer is no I don't think there is and two who am I? And and yeah, I'm I'm not particularly wealthy. I was living paycheck to paycheck. I worked really hard to get to New York and to get my job. And I think there's a tendency to wanna sort of find reasons to blame victims in this kind of an instance. So I just wanted hopefully for people to get to know me a little better through those introductory chapters.
2: So how do you end up in New York? Let's talk about your 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 journey to working at Vanity Fair.
0: Yeah, Um, I'm originally from Knoxville, Tennessee, like you said in your introduction. I grew up the oldest child of three. My parents are both clinical psychologists. Um, And I went to college in Ohio at Kenyon, this small liberal arts school where I double majored in English and studio art. And I spent my summers interning in New York, sort of just trying jobs on to see what I was interested in. And I started out first interning for a nonprofit, I worked at the national office for um, Planned Parenthood, just in the, the major donors division, writing newsletters. And I, I was curious about, you know, healthcare and nonprofits. And then after that, I interned in the photography world, um, since I was interested in, in creative and, and visual arts, and I fell in love with it. And after that, Following those, I, I interned for two summaries in photography. My dream job was to work at Vanity Fair. And when I was still in college, looking ahead to internships, my final internship, I guess the summer after my junior year, before I was going into senior year of university, I picked someone's name off the masthead at Vanity Fair and I wrote her a letter hoping for an internship. And I was a little too late to get the internship, but once I graduated, um, I was able to get an informational interview at Vanity Fair. And it just so happened two weeks after that informational interview, a job opens with a woman I had picked up the masthead. She remembered my correspondence. I interviewed for a job um, the next day and I started the day after that. So it was a combination of hard work and dumb luck that that brought me to my dream job and and moving to New York.
2: (laughs) So let's talk about what life was like for a, a young person to be working in New York back then and I say that like I'm asking you to talk about the 70s but we're talking about 2017 yeah. here
0: <laughs> sure yeah right um well it was so long ago you know and my memory my, my memory's no I'm just kidding um I think it's still true what, what was true then is that behind these sort of glamorous industries being publishing fashion the art world there is a real especially in the, the entry-level jobs I'd say scrappiness and a hard work Ethic that goes on um, behind the scenes of these glamorous uh, publications and and pursuits. So, life in New York. I worked long hours. You know, getting to work at like eight or nine and staying until like ten p.m. and always available and always reachable on my phone and email. And I I put together photo shoots for Vanity Fair. So I was often dealing with logistics and travel. And I had friends who were in similar industries. Um, one you know it works at Barney's and several for the New York Times and it's just this everybody works really hard long hours in these jobs they love but that require a lot of them
2: and so it's after one of these you know in a bar after one of these long days at work that you first right you first encounter Anna so tell us about that first encounter
0: Sure. Um, In New York, and I imagine this is probably true in other cities as well, one of the main things we do socially is meet up for drinks or dinner because that's kind of the only free time you have available to you. And it was on one of those evenings where I spontaneously decided to go out and see some friends that I met Anna. And she already knew certain girls in my friend group. And I had seen her in pictures but hadn't met her in real life. And there she was. She just appeared kind of after dinner. We were downstairs in this lounge and I was immediately struck by her quirkiness and she had an accent that was a little bit hard to place. She was sort of cheerful and uh, friendly, but there was something different about her that that piqued my curiosity only that she, you know, she didn't seem so much like the other girls in the group. She wasn't as uh, loquacious. She didn't talk as much, but she, she seemed friendly. I didn't learn too much about her that first night.
2: Well, you know her for uh, roughly a year as a sort of acquaintance before you become sort of firm friends. Um, But during that time, I mean, what did you, what do you find out about her? What's, I mean, I guess what I want to know is, you know, how did she present herself at this time?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, During that year where she was an acquaintance rather Mm -hmm. than a close friend, she presented as somebody who came from family wealth, who had a trust fund, who was using that money um, towards the creation of an art foundation. And she was well, she she said that every day she was meeting with lawyers and bankers and and real estate um, investment professionals in order to work towards leasing this gigantic historic property on Park Avenue South and twenty second Street, which is known as the Church missions House. So she seemed like many of my friends as though she was working hard. And I admired that about her, that, you know, as somebody who comes from wealth, I think, there's this I I don't want to say it's always true but one imagines sometimes I think second generational wealth people can be a little bit lazy and I admired her initiative and her drive to do something so ambitious and productive with her money
2: so now knowing what we know now looking back on this in hindsight how do you think she built this persona how did she Mm -hmm. how was she sort of getting away with it at that time
0: um anna was very smart and she you know not only was fooling everybody in the social world she was also taking advantage of institutions that have systems in place to protect them from this kind of fraud so she was certainly very um smart about how she was going about it that is until she got caught um she had been i'd I'd say a great study of character and of the world she wanted to be a part of she knew how to play the the role of anna delvey she knew how to you know, how someone from wealth would operate. She wasn't ostentatious. She sort of dropped subtle hints that that gave her this degree of legitimacy. And, you know, in New York, it's not uncommon to meet eccentric people, both from wealth or, you know, to have friends from backgrounds that have more money than you or less money than you. She very much fit into that fabric of New York life. So I think everybody just took her at her word.
2: And so, again, roughly a year after, after meeting her, um mm-hmm. she's been all traveling she comes back um and the two of you become much closer so tell us about that time and what that was like to be like so close
0: yeah um so she went away because she needed to reset her visa she returned in february of 2017 and she checked into a hotel that was not far from where i was living at the time in lower manhattan And immediately she sought me out as a friend. She started texting me, wanting to get lunch, asking me to come by. And I was flattered by her attention. I wasn't sure why she had picked me, but I was glad to have a friend, um, That that was available and spontaneous and fun loving, especially at that moment in my life, because I had just come out of a long term relationship. My friends were all, you know, for the most part, getting married or having babies or lived in Brooklyn. And like I said, people that I knew tended to work really long hours. And part of I think that lifestyle is we were bad at making commitments in advance. So I would I would find I had these unexpected free evenings where I wished I had someone to meet me for dinner. But it was hard to to pin people down um, at the last minute. And here was this this woman who lived close to me, wanted to be my friend. And, and it was seductive to just just have this easy friendship. And it was somebody doing these interesting things that I really enjoyed spending time with. So we started to see each other very regularly during that time. And it was very convincing. You know, She would text me every day saying, do you want to come by after work? And I walked to and from work. So I'd stop by, have a drink. We would often eat dinner. Most of what we did, in fact, was in her hotel. There was a very nice restaurant on the ground floor. And when we were in the hotel, she would, you know, at first, of course, I offered my credit card the way you would in a friendship ordinarily do. But she was very convincing and insisted on paying for both of us because she said that I had worked harder for my money than she ever had. And I appreciated that. She did know how much money I make and she she knew how hard I worked. So she did at that time um, pay for a lot of my meals, which has gotten some flack in hindsight because people think I was taking advantage of the friendship from the offset. But that's really not a part of my character, nor was it why I was spending time with Anna. So, But this but is another some, way in which yeah. she lays
2: the groundwork, yeah. isn't it? For, exactly.
0: You know. Yeah. She really, like, like I said, enjoyed playing this character. She loved being the person who could be generous. She wanted to be liked. She wanted to have friends around her mind you it was at the time really just me and the people who worked in the hotel but I liked her so we spent a lot of time together from February late February until early May when we went on this vacation.
2: There's a couple of incidents that happen around this time that I think sort of really help cement her character at least I think it could be quite the opposite as well because she sort of doesn't know how to behave in polite company for one um Mm -hmm. which could be an indication of as you said somebody who's like sort of second generation or wealthy and just doesn't care she's rude to waiters she's rude to car drivers and things like that also there's this incident that happens you go to a i was going to say tanning salon it's a sauna um an infrared sauna which is not Something I was really aware of was a thing. Um, (laughs) uh, Tell us about this story how she decides she wants the sauna back at her hotel.
0: Oh gosh. It just, Anna had this way of saying things, and sometimes you didn't know if she was serious or joking. So we had gone to this infrared sauna. As you said, it was in the basement of this. I, I call it crunchy, but when I was just in the UK, they didn't know what that meant. I, it's kind of like hippie, uh, holistic, sage, Palo Santo type of place. Um, there's this sauna and the downstairs, it wasn't like a cushy spa, um, but you go into this little room and there's a wooden box and there's infrared heat that's supposed to be good for your skin and all sorts of healthy, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we were there and we had a good time and then not long after that, I went out to the West Coast for work and when I was there, I got this text from Anna saying that she looked into the sauna and she thinks it makes sense to buy her own. I think it was like over $1,000 or something like that. And I think, I, I, I don't know that she's serious. I don't know what to think. So I just laughed and I was like, you live in a hotel. Where are you going to put a sauna? And then as soon as I thought that to myself, she texted me and was like, I'm going to just order it and say I didn't know how big it was. You know, she she had this way of... Really, starting from the top down in her plan making, just with regard to shooting for the moon and then sort of landing halfway. So I just, it just—it was, was—it was typical Anna behavior, um, where it was partially for entertainment value, but you don't know how much of it to take seriously.
2: But then the hotel does end up installing the uh, the. Solar. Yes.
0: I know. Uh, She was smart about knowing what was catching on and what was going to be cool to some extent. Uh, She, Yes, the the hotel she stayed in, Eleven Howard, did, a few months, I'd say, after she was gone, they did end up opening an infrared sauna in the hotel, and I think that was because of her request. Yeah, she didn't just say it to me. She really did go to them and ask if she could put a sauna somewhere in the hotel. (laughs) Yeah, she was smart. She knew what she was doing. Somehow her, her grandiosity definitely worked in her favor.
2: to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Rachel Deloach-Williams and we're talking about her book My Friend Anna, the true story of Anna Delvey, the fake heiress of New York City. And Rachel, things come to a head on a holiday. You all go to, you go to Marrakesh um, mm-hmm. on an on a extremely expensive break. Tell us about that trip.
0: It was a lot of fun until it wasn't. (laughs) Um, So we, Anna needs to leave to reset her visa again. She picks Marrakesh, and she frames it as though it's partially, she's going to justify it as being a business expense because she wants to make a documentary about the creation of her art foundation. And she hires a videographer and wants to bring the personal trainer and invites me. And I was already going to be traveling for work that spring and it had been so long since I'd traveled with friends. I was really excited and, and how amazing she picked this place and she booked the villa and she to me the confirmation email and everything seemed fine um until the day we were getting ready to go and the flights hadn't been booked. And I had I had known because she told me that Anna was putting off booking them because she didn't know how how late she was gonna be in meetings that day and she had this host of um, variety of excuses that seemed plausible to me. I think I was partially vulnerable to that because I worked in in production and I often booked travel for people who were really busy. It wasn't foreign to me that somebody would need to make last-minute plans like that, whereas I think for some people that might have been just absurd. Um, so I, I could wrap my head around it, and then that morning I was texting her trying to help her make plans because logistics came much more easily to me than they did to her. She was very aloof and and disorganized, at least that's how she presented. So she asked for my help making the booking. She said she was stuck in meetings. Of course, like I'm so ex- you know grateful she's invited me on this trip. I want to help however I can. So she texts me a credit card to book the flights and her card doesn't go through. And she says she's stuck in meetings and and basically asked me to use mine temporarily and said she'd wire me the money next week. And that's how it started. So I book flights for four travelers to get to Marrakesh and then it escalates from there where it's because she already owes me some money. She asks for one more small favor and one more small favor and it keeps sort of adding on, on in a small way where you know it wasn't something I would have agreed to in advance, but it just kind of starts piling up. And then of course the main blow, which isn't something I agreed to, was this escalating tension between Anna and the hotel managers at La Mamunia, the place we were staying. Midway through the trip, it becomes obvious that she doesn't have a credit card down for the villa. And after some back and forth between her and the managers, and at least she appeared to be talking to bankers, probably wasn't, um... My last full day in Marrakesh, these two managers appear in the villa and refuse to leave without a functioning credit card, which they say they were supposed to have on hold before we checked in. They don't. They leave with mine for a temporary block, I'm told, a temporary hold on the card. And I am told that Anna will need to settle the full bill upon checkout. Um, I leave before Anna. And of course, she doesn't settle the bill. I get a text saying that the whole cost of the hotel has gone on my credit cards and that she will wire me for the total, which was when I left Marrakesh, Anna owed me $62,000. And I find this out on a Friday, and she says, I'll wire you the money on Monday. Ugh, spoiler alert, the wire never comes through. Yeah. So, I mean,
2: this is, at this point, you know, it's, it's an awkward situation. You know, it may yeah. well be a friendship-ending situation, but as far as you're concerned, totally. she's good for it, and you're going to get the money. And weeks pass... At what Mm -hmm. point do you start to feel that it's not going to happen?
0: I believed her for a very long time and that's part of what made it so painful is because I kept looking for the good in her and I kept looking for reasons to trust her and to help her for a very long time. And at first you know, I I was in this very awkward situation where on one hand, I was extremely stressed out about the money. But on the other, I was grateful to her for having invited me on this exorbitant vacation, you know, and I now I knew the cost because I was holding the balance. So I I went from being sort of polite, but firm to completely freaked out. And it took, you know, I don't know, maybe a month before I, I had this realization that, not not that Anna wasn't who she said she was, but that something in her life was preventing her from having access to the amount that she owed me. And uh, it was world rocking. I just thought, oh, God, I've never, i am never, you know, I was already not saving any money in this job I loved, but that didn't pay me that much. I, I was barely breaking even. So to suddenly have this blow that was more than I made in a year. I thought that's where it ended for me. I was like, I'm never going to be an adult. I won't be able to buy a house. I can't have kids. Like, I'm going to just need to move home. It it, oh, it was so destabilizing. Yeah. Um,
2: at what point do you, I mean, again, with hindsight now and also having written this book about it, um, at what point do you, I guess, accept that you are a person that can be taken in like this?
0: Hmm. Um, that is part of the realization. I guess the answer to that is in early August when I had confronted her in person at this bar with the personal trainer and the personal trainer's friend. And we sat her down asking for truth. And I realized that she was just, you know, a, a complete lie. Um, but, but the realization wasn't so much, Oh, I'm a person who could be taken. It was, Oh, this girl's very good at what she was doing. And she wasn't just doing it to me. She's been doing it to all of these different banks and the entire circle that I'm in, you know. It was a long con. She had told the same story to so many people that I didn't I didn't feel even in that moment, although I was the one holding this enormous debt that I was alone in this. I, I felt that this person had been taking advantage of lots of people.
2: Um why do you think is there even an answer to this, but why you
0: um why me? I I am a trusting person. I, I I'm lucky in that I come from so many healthy relationships in my life that I had an idealized view of friendship. And I really went out on a limb for a friend, you know, to to, a degree I didn't even know I was capable of. Um, I I don't know that Anna would have known that about me. I I think part of it has to do with the fact that I was feeling a bit isolated and she appeared in my life right when I was happy to have a friend. Um, I also think that I was You know, I don't think she she picked me necessarily from the offset as a financial mark because that wouldn't make sense. But I think the friendship was very useful to her, partially because I worked at Vanity Fair and that gave her a degree of validity by association. So she would say to business people, you should meet my friend, Rachel. She works at Vanity Fair. And aside from the job, I think as a person, I am more relatable than she was. She could be sort of hard to read. I, I normalized her by association so that it became kind of like this house of cards.
2: And also, I mean, again, this is not a, a, a sort of victim-blaming statement, but mm-hmm. not clearly you weren't a viable sort of financial mark, obviously, to her, but as you've mentioned yourself, you know, in terms of your job as well as the contacts, mm-hmm. you're... Brilliance with the logistics somehow enables her to do oh, this as
0: well. That, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I, you know, having come out of this experience, I've read so many books about con artists and how it works, partially just so I could understand what I'd been through. Um, but it's funny the industry you're in like the things you think you know the best are the places you're the most likely to be conned because you come up with these explanations for things and she did really play to my skill set I don't know when she picked up the fact that that was a truth about me but it certainly worked in her favor when you know I'm so used to putting out fires whether it's on a photo shoot or in the office and just scrambling to to make sure everybody has what they need and to and to please people around me because that's my job and my nature so in that regard, I was the perfect person to go on this trip with because I was just picking up all of the pieces that were falling apart all around me constantly. Ooh.
2: <laughs> now, in the book, you also talk about, so obviously, you know, people can look up on Wikipedia now and see that she's, you know, she's been on trial and she's been sentenced. Yeah. Um, but in the book, you talk about how you helped with tracking her down, basically. Tell us about that.
0: I did. It was hard. So much of this was hard. It was all hard. Um, but I, you know, part of what was the hardest in going through the ordeal was the not knowing who she was and not knowing what to do about it. And when I finally found my way to the district attorney's office and got confirmation that she was the subject of an investigation and that she was a con artist, I felt like I had all of this information and I just wanted it to be useful. I wanted to give them what I had to help, you know, sort of expose her. Um, You know, realizing that this person I had spent so much time with contained this interior life that I didn't know at all was extremely destabilizing. And it also made me afraid of her because there was so much that I then felt I didn't know about her. I didn't know what she had done, what she was capable of, what she might do to other people. So I began participating in the investigation actively. Um, And then as we got further down the line, after I had testified in a grand jury hearing, Basically, she had been indicted, which wasn't public knowledge because she hadn't yet been arraigned. I learned a lot about the judicial system going through this, Um, but she was supposed to show up for this court date she had for these misdemeanor offenses where she'd stiffed some hotels in New York for smaller sums than Morocco, but she skipped the court date. And at that point, the NYPD and the New York District Attorney's Office contacted me to ask whether if I were to contact Anna, she might respond. And I partially because I think I was a photo producer and I was used to keeping, you know, so many solutions in the air. Just I, I kept I kept all the balls in the air by maintaining my communication channel with Anna, even as I was seeking alternate resolutions through lawyers and the police. And long story short, yes, she responded. And I then had to sort of suss out where she was while not letting her know that I was working with the police, which was really unnatural and hard for me to do.
2: Again, looking at it back from from today, having sat down and written this book about it and participated in you know the whole process, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on why she did it
0: um well, one, and I think this explains most of this entire thing is the fact that Anna is a sociopath, so I think she is extremely ambitious and self serving and untethered by normal concerns for morality and empathy for humans around you. So I think she she had this Machiavellian drive to... I do think she wanted to fake it until she could make it. I think she, you know, had she gotten the millions of dollars from hedge funds, she might have wanted to do this art foundation. She very much wanted to be a part of the world that she was undermining, you know, fashion and, and art and New York business and this sort of, I don't, I don't know, international scene that she had clearly studied to, to a great degree, um, but as, yeah, she, she said to the New York Times the day after she was sentenced that she wasn't money wasn't her motivation. She was power hungry. So I guess we could take her at her word. <laughs>
2: so what do you think the future holds for Anna? Are we going to hear from her again?
0: Um, who knows? I, you know, I think she will continue to manipulate people around her. I don't think that's going to change. She's not going to suddenly reform. Um, I, I've heard from an interview she wants to go to London and start uh an investment fund but I would encourage people to be very wary of trusting Anna with your money it seems like a very bad idea um I don't know I don't know
2: <laughs> well w- let's talk about where you are now then I want to talk about whether or not writing this book um yeah. helps in any way you know how has it helped you to sort of come to terms with what happened
0: yeah, it helped me to to a huge degree. I think it's what's allowing me to talk to you without bursting into tears. That it it was extremely cathartic and, and healing for me to, well, it was kind of an exorcism to get all of these different memories out of my brain. And I started writing the day after I went to the DA's office, district attorney's office, um, because I felt like I had so much information and I was replaying every interaction, every scene, trying to look for for details I missed and to pull apart what might be useful for this ongoing investigation. So it felt like everything was important to remember, but that I was just drowning in information. So I needed to put it down on paper in order to get through my daily life. So writing began for me privately. And then you know, as I continued to write and write and write and the story started to come out with or without me, it just was important to me to tell the story in my own words. And I was hoping that it would give people a more nuanced view, both of what happened to me and of how this happens more broadly. And hopefully it will help others to look at relationships in their life and, and to spot warning signs um, in places they might want to to step back from.
2: Yeah, this is what I was going to ask next. What do you think people will take from the book? Or what yeah, you hope uh, people will take from the book.
0: Yeah, I guess that's a better question. People have, uh, you know, to a certain extent, I, I can only tell you who I am so much and, and you'll either believe me or you won't or you'll, you know, see what you want in the story and that's fine. I hope it serves you. But my my ideal goal is I, I hope people come away with a more detailed understanding of, of how cons work, how, you know, this is a story that has a lot more to do with relationships and friendship and betrayal than it does really about money to some extent. And, and. And I also think it's a good study in, you know, what it is to to know someone else and what it is um, to spend time with someone. I think your time is really an investment and you should be careful where you spend it. I, you know, my biggest I, I'm careful because I don't want to have regrets. I don't think that's productive, but I can look back and, and, and learn things from this that I can carry forward with me. And I think the biggest thing is I spent so much time rationalizing Anna's behavior I excused things that weren't okay with me and it's not just once or twice I did it a lot and I think when you find yourself repeating that when you find yourself constantly making excuses for the same person it's you know don't be sad I think it's good to want to see the best in other people but I think you also have to look at what's right in front of you and those are warning signs you should step back from and really look at and when people show you who they are believe them.
2: So I've been talking to Rachel Deloach-Williams. We've been talking about her debut book, My Friend Anna, the true story of Anna Delvey, the fake heiress of New York City. It's out in the UK from Quercus. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: This episode of Little Atoms was produced and presented by me, Neil Denny, edited by Sky Redman and was first broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM. Little Atoms is supported by 89Up and hosted by Acast. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate us on iTunes, and even tell a friend. Thanks for listening.
1: Hold up.